If you've got a Bible, open up to Revelation chapter 10. Okay, all right. Okay. Debbie just said when she gets done with the lesson, since it's so nice, they will probably be outside coloring. So if you want your kiddos, they'll be outside. Let them run some of that energy off. Mm-hmm. All right, Revelation chapter 10. And if you would, please stand as we honor the reading of God's word this morning. Chapter 10, starting in verse 1. John says, Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun and his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay. But that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again saying, go take the scroll that is, in, that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel. I told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth, it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I'd eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for Revelation 10. Uh, thank you that it's a great spot to pause our study for the summer. Uh, because, Father, what it, what it shows us is just the sufficiency of your word and the scripture. The scripture alone is all that we need. So I pray today that we would leave here encouraged. Um, I pray that we would be encouraged that, that you are in control of history, that you've written it down, uh, that we can be absolutely certain that everything you said would happen will happen because you are a God who never lies. And Father, our, our Bibles show us that repeatedly, that you're a God who keeps his promises. So I pray today that, that that would be made clear and that it would comfort our hearts today. I pray that if there's anyone in here that does not know you today, that as the gospel is preached and proclaimed, that they would put their faith and trust in you. Uh, and it's in your name we pray, amen. All right, you guys can be seated. Um, so, so last week we, we looked at the last two trumpet judgments. And what we said was that trumpet six showed us this large demonic army that was unleashed on the earth. And the purpose of this army was to throw the world, to throw the earth uh, into chaos and to ultimately bring death. And, and what we said is, is that as we read that description, we see that that's a scary thing, but that also that we see that God has all of this army, these demons on a short leash. 
If you remember what it said is that they've been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year. That God the Father is in complete control of all that happens. And so as this sixth trumpet sounds, it's to be a warning light, a a blinking light for unbelievers to say that, hey, look around you, see what's happening. And instead of continuing to trust in yourself and your systems to repent and turn and believe and to trust the gospel. Then we read about the final trumpet. And what we said is that John writes in a way that, that shows that it's already happened. That, that the final trumpet is as good as, as done. That Christ will return and on that day, you and I, those of us who've trusted in Jesus, we will be with him forever and ever. And that will be a day of great rejoicing for the believer as we finally see Jesus face to face, right? That's the goal, isn't it? The, the goal's not heaven. The goal is not your grandma or your grandpa. That's a side effect. That's great. The goal is Jesus. Without Jesus, there is no heaven. And so on that day, we, we finally will see Jesus. Our race will be won. And today we're going to look back at chapter 10. So if you remember, after the first six sealed judgments, we had a parenthetical interlude, right, or a parenthesis. And in that parenthesis, what we saw is the church of Jesus Christ being sealed on this earth for salvation. Well, after the sixth trumpet, you get the exact same thing. In chapter 10, we get another parenthetical interlude. And this time, what it's doing is it's showing us the identity and the calling of the church here on earth, right? So, so today, it's what it's going to show us, is our identity and our calling here on this earth while we await the return of Christ. Now, when I was a kid, all right, and, and I'm going I'm to blow some of you kids' minds today, all right? I'm going to drop some knowledge. Before cell phones, it was not unusual for me to come home and my parents not be there. House was empty, right? I walk home from school, nobody would be there. House was empty. And I never got scared. And I'm going to tell you why. Because I can almost guarantee every time I could walk into the kitchen and on the kitchen table, there was a what? Anybody know? There was a note, right? That's how we communicated back then. It was awesome. Mom or dad would, would leave a note on the table. They'd tell me where they were, when they would be back, and if they were at a place that had a phone, how I could call that number and how I could get a hold of them. And then there'd be times when I'd be at the house and I'd get bored of waiting on them, right? And I'm like, I'm just gonna go see my buddy. And so then I would get a piece of paper and I would write out a quick note and be like, this is where I'm going, mom or dad. And I would leave a note and I would tell them where I was going. There was this one time in particular too, I came home, my dad wasn't there and he had left me a note telling me where he was. But then also on that note, my dad, you know, he's a man of few words, decided that would be a good time for him to, to write a note, tell me how he felt about me and my brothers. It was one of the kindest notes uh, that, I, that I've ever gotten. I carried that note in my wallet for years until the thing just finally fell apart. Uh, I thought I still had fragments of it. I was gonna read some of it to you, but I couldn't find it. I, I went through this box of stuff yesterday. I could not find it. But it, but it was just a, a note letting me know that he loved me and he cared for me and he was proud that I was his son. See, this is what chapter 10 is all about and this is the reason why it's in our Bible is that it's here to show us that apart from divine revelation, 
Apart from God's word, we really can't know anything about the world in which we live. Apart from the Bible, we have no hope of understanding who we are, how we got here, what's gone wrong, and what God has done to address the problem. And ultimately, without the Bible, we don't know what will become of the world. So listen, just like I needed those notes from my parents to let me know where they're at, where they were, just like I needed that note from my dad to let me know how he felt about me, we need the Bible in much the same way. Have you ever thought about that? That if God does not communicate with us, we're lost, we're adrift, we're uncertain, we're hopeless, and we are without purpose, we are without meaning in this crazy world that we find ourselves living in, all right? And so chapter 10 is here to show us our dependence on God's word as we're in this time between the two comings, all right? And this is, this is gonna be a big deal for us. So let's look at verse one. John says, then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head and his face was like the sun and his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and he called out with a loud voice like a lion's roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded and when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. So we have our interlude and John sees a vision. And in this vision, we get another mighty angel. Now, we don't know who this is. Some believe that this might be the mighty angel from chapter five, right? You remember him? He's the one that calls out, is anyone worthy to, to open the scroll, to break the seals? Is there anybody? We, some think it might be this angel. Others say that this is Gabriel, right? Gabriel's name means mighty one of God. And then there's others that say this is Jesus himself. And so we don't know with 100% certainty who this angel is, but we can kind of look at it and, and I think we can come to a conclusion on it, or at least I have, right? So let's just look at a couple things describing this angel. It says first that he's wrapped in a cloud. So anytime in the Old Testament we see something wrapped in a cloud, it's, it's often the vehicle or the means by which God makes an appearance, all right? He had a rainbow over his head. This mirrors Ezekiel chapter one, verses 26 through 28. This is what Ezekiel says. And above the expanse over their heads, there was the likeness of a throne in appearance like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of a throne was a likeness with human appearance. And upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as it were gleaming metal like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as it were the appearance of fire. And there was brightness around him like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain. So was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard the voice of one speaking. It mirrors Ezekiel 1. It's Ezekiel's vision of the, of the Lord. But it also was a reminder of God's covenant of mercy, right? That's what the, the rainbow signifies. We know that, right? It's God's covenant of mercy. Satan loves to, to counterfeit everything that God does. Satan loves to take God's stuff and flip it around, which is what we see in our day and age because the rainbow no longer means that. But folks, the rainbow is a covenant of, a sign of God's covenant of mercy. 
It signifies glory and power, but also deliverance. So just as Noah emerged from the ark into a new world, cleansed of sin, the rainbow anticipates the new heavens and the new earth, where we will emerge in a new world free of sin. James Hamilton said, what God did for Noah and the children of Israel by saving them through the judging of their enemies, then bringing them into a new land, he's going to do again when he saves us through the judgment of the world. So this is what, what John is seeing. He says he had the, a face like the sun. So remember during the Exodus, when the, the cloud descended on the tabernacle and Moses comes out, what happened to his face? It glowed with God's radiance. It's the same thing here. This angel's face is glowing from the presence of the Lord. But this is also the same thing we read about Jesus in Revelation 1.6. It says, in his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Matthew 17.2, he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. It says that his legs were like pillars of fire. That points us back to Revelation chapter one, verse 15. His feet were like the burnished bronze refined in a furnace and his voice was like the roar of many waters. But this also points us to Exodus 13, 21. And it says, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night, right? You see how so much, how, how so much of the Old Testament is in the new, right? and how it's interpreting itself. So just like the pillar of cloud and fire led Israel through the wilderness, John's telling us that this angel is going to lead the people of God, the church, to a better promised land, into the new heavens and into the new earth. And his voice is like that of a roaring lion. Christ is compared to a lion in Revelation 5.5. So is this Jesus that we're seeing? Maybe, maybe not. I think it is just based on the description that I think that this is Jesus, that John is seeing Jesus. And so he says he comes down and he has a scroll in one hand and he sets his right foot on the sea and he sets his left foot on the land. Now, in the Bible, anytime you were to set your feet on something, especially in the Old Testament, it meant to exercise dominion over what you set your feet on. So in Psalm chapter eight, verses six through eight, it says, you have given him, right? Jesus, dominion over the works of your hands. You put all things under his feet, all sheep, auction, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. Later in Revelation, we're going to see that Christ's enemy, Satan, raises a beast and a false prophet from the land and the sea. So in advance of what is coming, we're being reminded that Christ already has his foot planted on the land, has his foot planted on the sea. So Satan may call a beast and a false prophet from the sea and from the earth, but Christ already stands over Satan and anything else that might emerge from sea or land. And it says the angel then calls out with a loud voice and it says we hear seven thunders. And I love it because John picks up his pen, right? He gets it out of his pocket and he's getting ready to write down because he's thinking, okay, there's coming more judgments and he's gonna write it down and all of a sudden the voice says, whoa, 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 easy cowboy, don't write that down. You don't get to write this one down. And so this has led a lot of people to, to go, well, what are the seven thunders? Well, there's a lot of suggestions. We really don't know. Some people think that, that there's something that John's audience would know uh, already in, in that century. So there was no explanation needed for those seven churches. Uh, others say that after the sixth trumpet, we're told that unbelievers would not repent. You remember that? 
And so therefore, this angels answered their unrepentance by seven thunders, foretelling seven more judgments. So you have seven seals, seven trumpets, seven thunders, and seven bowls. Whatever they are, he tells John not to write them down, which is often the case in the Bible. You remember in 2 Corinthians where Paul talked about the vision of the third heaven, but God said not to write it down, right? Because God knows he would write a book and he would make a lot of money on it, right? So he's like, don't write it down. Somebody get that one on the way home. Um, Again, we don't know why, but, but there are a few suggestions, okay? So first, listen to this. One is God has plans for history that he has chosen to, that he has not, more plans, excuse me, more plans for history than he has chosen to reveal to us in the Bible. So we shouldn't be surprised when things happen that are not accounted for in the scriptures. Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may do all the words of the law. So God says, I'm God, and I may know some things that you don't, and so you just need to be okay with it. Two, if these thunders are judgments by, uh, by showing that God has canceled or restricted these judgments, God is showing us his mercy, or God's showing his grace, and he's giving people an opportunity to repent. That could be the other reason. But probably the best answer is found in verse five, right? So let's look at what the angel says in verse five. And so the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it and the sea and what is in it, that there, should be, that there would be no more delay. But in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants, the prophets, so the angel then raises his right hand and he, he's gonna swear an oath. So think about going to the courtroom and you raise your hand, you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. And this is a reference once again to the Old Testament. In Daniel chapter 12, verse seven, Daniel sees an angel standing over a stream and this angel takes an oath. And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times and a half time and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to end, all things would be finished. So he raises his right hand and he names the highest authority imaginable. So he says, the one who lives forever and ever, the one who created heaven and earth and sea. So this covers all that God has made. It shows us that there is no place uh, over which God's sovereignty doesn't exist and no place in this world that his word does not apply. It shows us that God created trillions of galaxies. Everything on the earth, from the grass to the ants, it all exists because of him. He created everything in the seas, everything from plankton to whales, it's all him. There is not a single piece of creation that that God doesn't rightfully stand over and say, mine. It's all mine. I, it belongs to me. And so this angel swears by God. He says, listen, there will be no more delay. That when the final trumpet is blown, the mystery of God will be fulfilled. Now let's do some work here. Because oftentimes we read mystery and we start going, oh man, there's a puzzle. I've got to put it together. I've got to figure it out. But remember, Revelation is not a puzzle book. It's a picture book. It's a picture book. 
And so what he's saying there is, is that, 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 that there's redemptive truths of history that can be known as God reveals them. So when the end comes, the mystery plan of judgment and salvation will be brought to complete and total fulfillment. At that point, we will know all things, that the mystery will be completely and totally revealed. And in the Greek where he says that the time will be no longer, this is the idea that there's a predetermined time in the future when God's purposes for history will be completed. And do you believe that? I mean, there's a predetermined time that God knows about when it's all gonna be over. G.K. Beale says the point is that when God has decided to complete his purposes and to terminate history, there will be no more delay in his termination. So listen to me, be encouraged by this. I, I think every one of us in this room that are believers should be encouraged by this angel's oath because listen, this is a firm reminder that God's purposes will come to pass. That Listen, it's as good as done. So we shouldn't be a people, Christian, that are eaten up with worry and anxiety. We don't need to live in fear about who wins. We already know who wins. So listen to what the Bible says about our God. In Numbers 23, 19, it says, God is not man that he should lie or son of man that he should change his mind. He has said and he will not, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Titus 1, 2. In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. Hebrews 6, 18, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. God doesn't lie. If God could lie, he wouldn't be God, and you and I are a bunch of idiots for following him. Right? That's the truth. Our hope and our confidence is knowing that God has sworn he will judge wickedness and that you and I will be saved. It's as good as done. He promised you it's gonna come to pass. So nothing, and I mean nothing, will stand in the way of God's word being fulfilled and God bringing history to its rightful end. Amen? Okay, now look at verse eight. Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again saying, go take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who's standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and I told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. And it was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. So John's already been told to prophesy in chapters one and in chapter four, but here he's recommissioned to prophesy again. Now we don't have time to go through it, but if you would go to Ezekiel chapter one and two when you get home today and read it, you'll see that this is almost identical to what happens to Ezekiel in those chapters, right? Ezekiel is told to eat a scroll. He's told to take it and to preach it. So the eating of the scroll is symbolic, okay? So, so remember that. It's not like he went up and he's like, oh, paper, it's so good. Like, give me some salt and pepper. That's not what he's doing. Like, the scroll symbolizes the assimilation of the message it contains. So it represents John identifying and submitting to the truth of God's word, 
okay? He's identifying and submitting to the truth of God's word. And so the same thing goes for you and me. So listen to me, it's not enough to own a Bible. It's not enough to bring it to church. It's not enough to leave it on your coffee table or in your car. You must take the Bible. You must digest it. You must assimilate it into your life. In Jeremiah 15, 6, it says, Your words were found and I ate them, and your words became to me joy and the delight of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. And we have a problem here. We have a problem when most of us out here in the panhandle and the Bible Belt would say that we revere the Bible, that we live by the scriptures, that the Bible's our highest authority, but the reality is, is few of us actually know it. We have a problem when 82% of Christians recently polled believe God helps those who help themselves is found in the Bible. And some of you are squirming because you were like, oh man, I thought that was in there too. That was like 2 Proverbs 3. And then listen, the reason that we struggle with this, John shows us. It's because living according to the Bible is a bitter, sweet thing. And John indicates that by eating the scroll. So it brings joy and life and hope and peace. And it comforts us in our tribulation and our struggle. It comforts us because we know that no matter how sinful we are, we deserve wrath, but yet Jesus has taken our place. It presents us the gospel. But listen, it's bitter because it also brings division and it incurs the hatred and the opposition of others. There's nothing sweeter than the Bible's message of comfort and assurance to those who believe. But listen, at the same time, there's bitter consequences arise from believing the Bible while living in an ungodly world. Next week, we're, we're pressing Paul's and we're gonna go look at marriage for a couple of weeks. And even within Christianity, when I come up here tomorrow, next Sunday, and I say something about complementarianism, even in Christianity, something that two years ago as conservatives we said, yes, that's right and good and biblical, we have women throwing a fit over it right now. Because they're taking the Bible and they're tossing it out and they're saying, well, okay, the Bible's good, but it's, it's, it's not enough, we need more. Listen, even in the SBC, I was reading a book recently that they've decided that the Bible's not enough, that we need the Bible plus critical theory in order for us to be able to understand all the things that are going on in our world. Folks, the Bible's enough. But the problem is, is living according to it is bitter. Living according to it causes problems in this ungodly world. William Hendrickson says the Bible believer must experience both its sweetness and the suffering, the cross-bearing, which is always the portion of those who truthfully proclaim it. So John receives the sweetness. John receives the bitterness. And it's no different for us. Jesus has commissioned us to proclaim it. So this book was written to the seven churches for us. It was written to them for us. So in verse 11, he's told to prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. So the charge then for us is the same as John. To be a Christian is to receive, ingest, taste, and then go proclaim God's word to the world. There is no such thing as a Christian who doesn't believe the Bible. Richard Phillips puts it this way. He says, the only ones who are saved by the sovereign redeemer Jesus Christ are those who humbly receive God's word from him 
obediently hold fast to scripture in anticipation of its certain fulfillment and faithfully fulfill Christ's commission to spread his message of judgment and salvation throughout the world. So this means two things for you and I, brothers and sisters. I'm talking to Christians. As we kind of press pause on Revelation for the summer, it means two things. First, it means be confident that God is the Lord of all and he will accomplish his purposes, all right? Be encouraged by that. Rest in that. The, the angel is standing on land and sea to remind you and I that it's all under God's feet, all right? So Christian, nothing can stand in the way of God accomplishing his purpose, all right? Now listen to me on that, okay? Nothing can stand in the way of God accomplishing his purposes, do we have cause for concern in the United States right now? Sure, I, I think so, yes. But listen to me, if our democracy comes to an end, right, if we go socialist or whatever, we're all worried about, right? If this country is no longer what you remember it, so what? God's purposes do not ride on the United States of America. Love my country. Proud of my country, thankful for the freedoms we have. Last time I checked, I'm not in that book. God's purposes do not ride on what happens right here. And if they did, man, that's a weak God I serve. He's the Lord of history. His will is going to be done. We can rest in that. We can be encouraged by that, right? Second, we can know this is true because God has revealed himself. I love this. God gave the scroll to Jesus who gave it to this angel, right? Or it may have been Jesus, okay? Who then gave it to John who ate it and prophesied so that we would have this book. So listen, my dad left me a note telling me where he was. My dad left me a note telling me how he felt about me. Jesus did the same for you and I. In John chapter 14, verses one and three, what does Jesus say? Let not your hearts be troubled. Ooh, that's good news for this day and age. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And listen, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again. I'll take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. The Bible's a note left on the table for you and me. It's letting us know what our great God has done for us throughout history. It's letting us know where he's at. It's letting us know how he feels about us. And it's letting us know that we're not gonna be home alone forever, that he's coming back to get us. That daddy's coming home. And that's a good thing. So folks, listen. We can trust the words of scripture that God has given us. And so as we press pause and we go into the summer, hey, press into your Bibles. Press into Jesus as the world falls apart around you, quit trying to find answers in everywhere else. Find answers right here. Do you believe that this is sufficient enough to answer all the problems in the world? I do. I don't think I need critical theory. I don't think I need some uh, woman on Twitter telling me what to believe about complementarianism. I think I know what the Bible teaches me. And it's enough. Can we rest in that? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for what you've given us and I thank you that we come to a, a great stopping point this morning where we can see that Father, you've given us your word so that we may be comforted, so that we may know 
your plans for us, that you may know your plans for history. So Father, I know there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of anxiety in the room. I know I have it myself when I look around my world and I, I see the craziness that just is happening and it just seems uh, more so every day. Father, could we rest on your words in John 14 to let, not let our hearts be troubled? That you've gone to prepare a place for us, that you're gonna come back and get us, and that you haven't left us. Father, that you've sent us the Holy Spirit and that he's in our hearts to bring us comfort that you've given us your word so that we could press into it, that we could see the solutions to all the problems of our world are found in the words of scripture. So help us to be Christians, help us to be people who believe that and press into that over the next few months, especially over this summer. Uh, Father, I pray if there's anyone in here that doesn't know you, that today they would put their faith and trust in you, that the scriptures tell us that apart from Jesus doing what we could not do, we are lost and helpless in this world, that Jesus has stepped down out of heaven, he's lived the life we should have lived, he's died the death we deserved, he's taken our place, he's risen again, and that Father, all who trust in him will be saved from their sins and they'll be counted righteous in your sight. And so I pray today that if they don't know that message, that they would trust in Jesus. Thank you for all you've given us. Thank you for your word. And it's in your name we pray, amen. If you would please stand.